Over the course of two of his homilies, St. Augustine had the following to say about our praying of the Our Father. Let us then daily, and with a true heart, say, Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And moreover, let us do what we say. We enter into a bond with God, an agreement, an engagement. The Lord your God says to you, If you forgive then I forgive. If you do not forgive, then you, not I, uphold your guilt against you. Perhaps you have wronged someone and now wish to make good your understanding with him again. You long to say, Brother, forgive me that I have sinned against you. But he has no wish to hear of forgiveness or to remit your debt. He should, however, be careful when he wants to pray. He was unwilling to forgive your fault. What then will he do when he begins to pray? If your conscience troubles you, then pray, Forgive us our trespasses. But mark well, the prayer does not end there. You do not want to forgive your brother, and still you have to say, As we forgive those who trespass against us. Or would you prefer not to speak these words? If you do not say them, however, you do not receive anything either. Or if you say them just for the sake of saying them, you are lying. Do say them then, but speak the truth. That's St. Augustine. My name is Matt Cheminsky. This is the Curious Catholic Podcast. This episode focuses on the ideal of community life expressed in the words of St. Augustine, that we be one in mind and heart on the way to God. Clearly, this phrase finds its origin in the early Christian community witnessed in the Acts of the Apostles, but it also finds expression in a rule of life written by Augustine for men and women who have chosen to live together in community, and in this unity set off together on pilgrimage toward the fullness that is God. The rule, though written for religious, is not just for monks, friars, and nuns. It can be for all of us. Though ancient, and can aid us moderns in our pursuit of loving God and neighbor. Today I'll be speaking about all of this with Father Kevin DePrinzio, an Augustinian friar who is a visiting assistant professor in the Department of Theology and Religious Studies at Villanova University. Father and I sat down in his friary to talk of Augustine, his rule, community life, and what's to be done when we find that oneness of mind and heart difficult to achieve. Here's Father talking about being drawn to the person of St. Augustine by way of the lived witness of the Augustinians that staffed his high school. So I had um, gone to one of our high schools, uh, Monsignor Bonner in Drexel Hill, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, that the Friars had staffed since its uh, beginning in the 50s, and we've, we've withdrawn um, about 10 years ago. But uh, I was a student there, and I took... You know, there was a there was a curiosity that I had pretty early on my high school time uh, with the friars. Uh, there were ten friars there um, that were working mm-hmm. in the school at the time, and all different ages. And I was fascinated ab- about um, all of their very different personalities, but they had a chemistry together. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I thought they were great teachers, great preachers, 
but it was also the way they were interacting with each other that I thought, hmm, that's really interesting, you know? And, yeah. And I remember um, standing waiting for the school bus at the end of the day, and where the school buses picked us up was right by where the friary was at the, at the back of the school. And I would see the, the guys going in and out of the house, and I remember going, what goes on in there? <laughs> you know, so, and, it, and that kind of became this curiosity that turned into an attraction yeah. that turned into this quest. And, and it was there where I think the seeds of vocation were mm-hmm. for me. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was the lived expression of the life first. Yes. And then find out more about Augustine. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And then it was really, that's where I learned about him more mm-hmm. and more uh, by, by the, the members of the community. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, things on uh, friendship mm-hmm. um, and the, the, the friendship that's really united, first and foremost, in and through Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, real sense of brotherhood, yeah. uh, taking care of each other and, you know, having each other's back. Yeah. You know, those sorts of things, which yeah. are really very much uh, Augustine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does a lot with friendship, right? Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah. And you see it throughout the confessions. Mm-hmm. And his whole idea of friendship changes with mm. with his baptism. You know, mm. it, it's interesting when, when you even look at the confessions and you see how all the stuff, he had all of the stuff necessary. Um, and it was God that transformed all that stuff. So yeah. like raw material was there and yeah, needed to it be shaped? Or? Exactly. It yeah. was all there. You know, it was all his natural tendencies towards yeah. wanting to be with people. Right. He saw there was something um, in his relationship with other people that either drew out the good or drew out the bad. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and it was in that his conversion that all that was transformed. Okay. You know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he has a lot. I'm thinking um, regarding friends and maybe his sensibility of human vulnerability, right? Yeah. What's that scene where he's got a friend and they're at the Colosseum and the friend doesn't want to open his eyes, right? Yeah. That, and then he kind of can't avoid being taken in by the violence before him. That's right. So he has a keen sense of sort of human weakness That's right. in the life of his friends. Exactly, and, exactly. Um, and this whole sense of literally looking out for each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, because he's in conversation all the time, right? That's right. Philosophical topics. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. And even when you think about the conversion scene Mm -hmm. in Book 8 of the Confessions, you know, we often think of conversion being a very personal, individual experience and encounter, Mm -hmm. and yet his best friend's right there with him. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, And at his own baptism, all of his friends are baptized with him. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's this whole sense of we're all in this together. Right. As much as it's a it's a personal relationship with God, it's really um, expressed best mm-hmm. when it's in relationship with other people. Hmm. So I'm wondering, you know, why does he eventually write his rule? Like, why does he sort of codify how yeah. to live together in this way? Yeah, exactly. So, so you figure um, again before before his conversion. Uh, he and his friends, you know, they, they kind of consider themselves like philosopher types, mm-hmm, right? Right. And they just enjoyed each other's company, and he uses the word leisure, you know? Mm-hmm. He, they just wanted to just hang around and, and just talk about the deep stuff of life. Right. You know? And so, again, like, he, he had that raw stuff, right? Right. And <clears throat> after baptism, he's like, hey, let's keep doing this. Hmm. 
you know, and, and, and that's what they did. Yeah. Um, and they, they considered themselves what, what he called um, servants of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so after, after his baptism, after the death of Monica, they, they moved back to North Africa, mm-hmm. to his hometown and to Gast, and began intentionally living this life together, mm-hmm. um, where they really considered themselves friends in God, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and they really just were enamored with this idea that we could do this yeah. and, and be faithful followers of Christ. And then what happened was, um, I often like to say that he was a vocation director, <laughs> He had heard of a of a guy in this town called Hippo. Yeah. That had heard of what he and his friends were doing in Tagast. And they were in, he was intrigued by it and wanted to join their company. So he went to meet him. Hmm. And it was that encounter that changed the direction of his life. Hmm. Um, so basically, you know, that was several days' journey to get to Hippo. Okay. And so he had to stay there for a while as well. So, right. you know, he's going to Mass, he's meeting the people. And, and Augustine just had this very attractive quality uh, yeah. about him, it seems, just based on, like, writings and stuff. Sure. And basically, you know, the the bishop at the time, he's at a Mass. Uh, Augustine's at this Mass with him and, 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 and the people of the town. And he's putting out this pitch saying, we need people. <laughs> we need people to do more service uh, and ministry in the church. Right. And the people said, this guy'd be great. Yeah. And Augustine's like, who, me? And, and then he talks about how they literally dragged him up yeah. to the altar and basically ordained him to the spot, yeah. on the spot. Wow. And, he, you know, he, and he starts crying, and people are like, oh, wow, that's so great that he's so emotional about it. He yeah. goes, no, I was emotional because I didn't want to do it. <laughs> so, right. so that just changed that, that encounter with that one uh, man that was uh, curious about what he was doing uh, in Tagast. Mm-hmm changed his life. Wow. Um, and so what he had done in Tagast, he began doing in Hippo mm-hmm. as a priest. And then a few years later, uh, he's uh, named Bishop uh, of Hippo. Right. And that's where his rule then gets written. Okay. Scholars are pretty much sure that it was within a year of him becoming Bishop um, that he wrote the rule for the community that he had to leave. I see. Yes. Yeah. So basically just as a reminder about what they were to be doing. Right. Yeah. And it's not very long. No, not Um, at all. Eight chapters. Very short. Right. You could read it in one sitting. That's right. That's right. You know, I was struck, you know, familiar with Francis, St. Francis's rule. And, you know, he gave the expression, I mean, the sense that it was just living out the gospel in a certain way. That's right. That's kind of what Augustine does, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, even when you think about... All of the the various rules and and ways of life. I mean, it, it's just basically a particular lens through which to live the gospel faithfully. Right. You know, um, and that's basically what what when we would use the word charism of a, of mm-hmm. a religious community or a group of people. Uh, it's it charism is is you know that that spirit of living out the gospel right. intentionally. And there's just different ways in it. There's different points of emphasis. Right. But they're about the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, which is right. you know, doing the work of God. Right. Know. Although I'm struck at, at the beginning, he, he uses the phrase, you know, uh, you're to be in oneness of mind and heart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is Acts of the Apostles. That's right. right. So That's is right. that sort of the ideal for him, the, the, the early community after Pentecost? Abs- absolutely. And in fact, you know, it's not unique to Augustine. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- when you look throughout church history... Um, from the early days to the Middle Ages, even to now, whenever there was a sense of 
or a desire for renewal or reform within the church, mm-hmm. um, particularly in um, spiritual movements, right. it was often the Acts of the Apostles that was the source, right. which makes sense sure. because that's where it first started being lived out. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, the apostles looked at each other like, well, now what? <laughs> right? And yeah. so so we get this sense um, early on in the Acts, it's, it's Acts 4, chapter 32, that becomes the inspiration for, for Christian living. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, you know, I can read it out loud for, for, yeah. for some listeners that might not um, know it um, exactly. It's Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 32 and following where it says, Now the whole group of those who believed were of one mind and heart, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power and apo- with, sorry, with great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each according to need. Hmm. So that becomes the basic inspiration for Augustine. Right. And I think that becomes the Christian framework for him on understanding what he was even trying to do before his own baptism with his friends. Hmm. Where he's like, yes, that, that's, that's the goal. Yeah. You know, in my relationships, to to work toward being one with right. them, right? I mean, that's interesting. It's, it's making me wonder. You know, pre-baptism, Augustine with his friends and this community, and this desire for oneness. Yeah, I'm wondering if um, he sensed that lack of maybe the transcendent orientation, mm-hmm. right? That then, when he's baptized, he, he receives that, right? He's put on that. That's right. In that direction, right? So, right. you know, in his rule, and um, you know, at the very beginning, he's saying, right, oneness of mind and heart, and we can talk a bit about this distinction. A lot of places will say intent upon God, or what you like and I like as well. We were talking about this earlier, right? Oneness of mind and heart on the way to God. That's right, that's right. So, does that second part give the community its sort of cohesion and its direction? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. That's a great way to put it, uh, put it. Uh, cohesion and direction. So, mm-hmm. So it's really like it's it's the glue, mm-hmm. but it's also um, where you're supposed to put all your energy. Mm-hmm. You know, so it holds it together, but then it's 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 outward as well. And Augustine's basically what he does is he takes the Acts of the Apostles, that that those few verses, and he adds either intent upon God or on the way to God. The Latin is in Deum, mm-hmm. and the, the it's 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 not a, a static understanding. There's an a, there's a movement. Right, and I think that's why a lot of scholars like to translate it on the way. Yeah, meaning Absolutely. like that there's there, there's this this ongoing sense of it happening, you know. Which then at the same time, and and this can really get into you know the stuff that he ends up talking about in the, in the rule, because it it gives the sense that it's ongoing. Mm-hmm. There are going to be times where they're not there yet, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know. So so throughout the rule, he he puts forth the ideal. But he also has a, a, a great way of just being real right. about human nature. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I often like to say, you know, as we hear from the Gospel of Matthew, um, that beautiful phrase about where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Right. I like to add, there also is crisis. 
mm. because where you put two or three people together in a room, no matter how well intentioned they are, yeah. it's also two or three people together in a room right. with different understandings, different perspectives, biases, right. uh, chemistry, lack of chemistry, mm-hmm. and so you just go, what do we do about that? Right. You know, especially in saying trying to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, saying everyone's well intentioned, mm-hmm. but even with that, we can often get in the way. Yeah. You know, no doubt. Yeah, and uh, and I that's what I often like to say um, with my brothers as well that we like to talk about being one in mind and heart on the way to God. But how often in our life together are we one in mind and heart in each other's way to God? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it can so easily happen. Yeah, right. You know, and I'm also interested in the in the idea of oneness. Yeah, yeah, and what that would actually entail and. Because oneness, it seems like for Augustine early on, uh, maybe a residue from his earlier philosophical training was a oneness within the self. That's right. Singularity of purpose. That's right. Uh, in, in sort of my own interiority. That's right. And then eventually it seems to transition towards a oneness, uh, not just within myself, but myself with others. That's right. And that's the priority then, right? That's right, exactly. Well, they, they're, they're probably not unrelated. That's right, but. that's right. And in some ways, he's kind of holding both in a dynamic tension mm-hmm. because they both can kind of give way to each other. Mm-hmm. That if, if we do the interior work, it's going to um, pull us out of ourselves. Mm. You know? right, right. But that interior work of oneness, that, that, that the unity of, of working toward integration, right, right. Um, is not a solo journey. Right can't do mm-hmm. it and we, we need other people to keep us in check because mm-hmm. sure. if not it can become navel gazing right. become a narcissistic endeavor mm-hmm. even with the best of intentions right and even with what we believe with uh, as uh, that the indwelling of god is there right but we can often um deceive ourselves mm-hmm. which is um uh, a worry and concern for augustine sure. Self, self-deception is really uh, a concern for him throughout a lot of his writings it seems to be all throughout the rule yeah exactly know. Uh, talking about sort of those that were poor in the world and now have yeah their necessities taken exactly. care of and like hey I have everything I need don't be right. so satisfied and that's, uh, that's right but if you are rich in the world that's right don't take pride in your hu- new humility exactly 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 <laughs> that's an, uh, yeah there's yeah. a great sensitivity there yeah there really is and so and with that it's not just this ideal sense that he was gifted with this comes from experience mm-hmm. you know. He he knows the human person because he he knows himself. Mm-hmm. That was his. He, he was able to somehow just kind of put himself out there. But after a struggle of of doing the work and of being right. confronted by both the good and the bad and the ugly right. that he found yeah. with himself, right? You know. Um, so who helps him? As you were just talking about, you know, others put you in check. Yeah, and sort of reveal things to yourself that you're not even aware of at the time. So who does that for him in his life? Yeah. Oh gosh, geez, all sorts of people have done it. I mean, two that come, eh, maybe three that come to mind just based on his uh, on his confessions. I would say Monica is Mm -hmm. one of those people. As his mother, you know, maybe she'd be looked upon today as a helicopter parent. Yeah. Right? <laughs> she herself yeah. was not perfect. Right. Um, she needed Augustine just as he needed her. Right. You know? So she has a very strong presence throughout his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's one where he looks back on with, with gratitude. Right? Yeah. 
Um, another would be his, his buddy Olypius, mm-hmm. right? Uh, his best friend, uh, who was with him in his conversion, okay. right? Yeah. Uh, who promises to to have his back mm-hmm. at his at the moment of his conversion to say that that, I, that I'm going to be there with you, and mm-hmm. in fact was in terms of being baptized on the same night, wow. right? Yeah. Um, Ambrose certainly in, in his own sort okay. of unique way. Yeah. Um, some scholars aren't quite sure if they really got along. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they both had pretty large personalities, yeah. you know, and probably never um, met a microphone that they didn't like, <laughs> you know. Um, How much did Ambrose provide a model for Augustine? Later as a bishop, I'm just, I mean, that's something that comes to mind yeah, that you mentioned good, him. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I think in some ways he did provide in terms of just being a preacher mm-hmm. right? and, and being able to um, use the gifts of, of rhetoric that both of them had right. uh, to bring about um, preaching the good news. Yeah. You know, um, and I think in terms of his leadership. Uh, but you, we even see uh, later on that he ends up doing some things a little differently in terms of sure. um, how to pastor people and stuff yeah. like that. But that would be for a podcast another time. Like. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, that brings something up. You know, I was struck in reading the rule uh, by chapter six, mm-hmm. um, which in this version is titled "Asking Pardon and Forgiving Offenses." Which, mm. you know, I'm reminded of it. But you mentioning, you know, Ambrose and Augustine, maybe not. Yeah, really That's right. enjoying yeah. each other's company all the time in every way. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering if we could just kind of go through this chapter a little bit. Sure. Because it seems to provide something of a template for not just living in religious life, but just right. living as, as a human being in community or in relationship with other human beings. That's right, yeah. And he's talking about quarrels and arguments and fights. And yep. um, he says you should avoid quarrels altogether or else put an end to them quickly. That's right. And I was really struck, right, because he says anger can grow into hatred. Yeah. And he uses the gospel image differently than Jesus uses it, but the image of the splinter in one's own eye. That's right. But as being something that could grow into the plank or the log. Yeah. Um, and then, this was really, you know, unexpected for me at least, right? He says, you know, when you go through this process of anger to hatred, you turn the soul into a murderer, which is, you know, something he lifts from the first letter of John. Mm, mm. Um, so... Yeah, that's a lot. It, it, it is a lot, and you know, again, it it, it doesn't it strike you as just very real mm-hmm. that Augustine is acknowledging to his brothers um, and also to his sisters because he, he writes a, a feminine version of the rule mm-hmm. as well that you're not always going to get along, right? Right. So, how do you not always get along? In a Christian way. That's a good way to put it. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put um, it. Yeah, so again, it's like what happens when two or three people are there together in Christ's name and then all claim Christ <laughs> right. and just see it differently, right? So what do you do? It's, it's yeah. very real. I mean, just based on personalities, chemistry, etc., or lack thereof. Um, and also there's an acknowledgement there that anger itself is not bad. Mm-hmm, you know, right. sometimes, we, you know, I think about confession, how we, we often will confess anger. And mm-hmm. think, well, what do you mean by anger? Mm-hmm. It's sure. not bad. But Augustine's insight is if you let it fester, right. if you just keep it within, it'll find its way out and it'll be unhealthy. Yeah. And it'll turn into hatred. Right. So it's all about trying to temper it. Right. You know, 
and, and sort of find a, a resolution for it, right? That's right. And absolutely. Absolutely. Diffusing it, I guess you yeah, could say. Yeah. And at the same time, think about it this way. It can be an opportunity toward that oneness of mind and heart. Wow. It's an expression of being on the way to God. Right. Because the offense is there. That's right. The division's there. It has right. to be that's right. dealt with. That's right. It has to be reconciled. Right. And that's a process. Yeah. That's right. And it, and it takes a while. And it, yeah. and it, it definitely takes a while. I mean, because he, 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 he says in other parts of the rule about how um, oftentimes if you're concerned about another because of that person's behavior or because of a disagreement, it might not always be able to be handled between the two individuals. Mm-hmm. Right. You may have to seek right. others' help. Right. Right. Well, so even think of something you said earlier about um, the process of oneness, even yeah. within the self-involves relationship with the yeah, other. That's right. That's and right. so here he's even talking about if you find it too hard to ask for forgiveness. Mm. In other words, that's something you got to get over. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> you right. you did the injury. That's right. And your own personal growth, it's incumbent upon you to that's right. humble yourself. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it's, you know, when, when we're honest about it, we are all guilty of being on either side. Right. We, we, not that we intend to hurt mm-hmm. others, but it happens. Right. We can easily offend, mm-hmm. especially when we make it all about us. Mm-hmm. Right? And so um, oftentimes we can just act as if we are at the center of our world. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, and, and I think when we live in community or when we um, try to understand that every one of us is living in community in some form. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Whether, whether mm-hmm. professing it as, as religious and living together in the same house or just seeing everybody as brother and sister, mm-hmm. um, we can then, we, there's that automatic sense of relationship that, oh, it's, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not necessarily about that other person either, but it, it's about us together. Yeah. And how God's working right. in and through that, right? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm wondering also why do you, why do you think he uses the? I mean, it's a scriptural term, but why does he use language as strong as your hatred is murderous? You know, to paraphrase it. I mean, that's a strong yeah. expression. Yeah. What is being murdered? I mean, why why this sort of uh, amplified language? Do you think? I I think to really um, get people's attention. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, it's really about lifting each other up, right? And, and that we're, you know, in, in other writings of his and famous in, in several of his sermons, we're all necessary for each other's salvation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we can contribute to our own damnation, really, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. He doesn't say it like that. Yeah. I was much more eloquent the way I just said that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, that, that we are necessary, uh, for each other, mm. um, and I often will say, you know, when I'm working with couples that are preparing for marriage, you know, yeah. and you know, at one point I'll, I'll I'll ask them, you know, what's it like when you fight? Sure, right. And every now and then, there's a couple that go, "Oh, well, we don't fight, Father." I'm like, <laughs> "Well, come back <laughs> once you do, right. and then we'll talk," yeah. because it's going to happen, right? right? Um, but also in terms of relationship, do you bring out, do you strive to bring out the best in each other Mm -hmm. or do you bring out the worst in each other? Right. 
you know, and we're all capable of doing either. Sure, of course. <laughs> you know, and most especially, I, I think, you know, and, and Augustine's insight really in all in all of this is when when you don't do the work in yourself, mm-hmm. you will automatically start looking for the worst in others. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think it, it's it's where pride comes in. Mm-hmm. Right to kind of you're trying to puff yourself up. That's interesting. You know. Yeah. Right. You don't want to admit that you're at fault or right. that you have faults. Right. Or so you inflate yourself. So you inflate yourself. Yeah. And how do we do it psychologically? We often do that by putting other people down. Right. You know. We get higher by them getting lower. That's right. Exactly. Mind. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You know. Mm. Um, yeah. It's tough stuff. But yeah. So you know, when you when you look at this rule, I think people would be shocked about how simple it is. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah. You know, and just yeah. go, oh, well, this is the gospel. This is this is mm-hmm. what Jesus talked about. <laughs> right. But it's simple, yeah. but it's also very difficult to, to, to live. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm struck, you know, I'm, again, focusing on chapter 6 here, when he talks about, you know, the, the reason you ought to forgive, or one of the reasons you ought to forgive your brother or sister mm-hmm. is in reference to your prayer. Yeah. Which seems to be a reference to the Our Father. Yeah. Right? Forgive us our trespasses. That's right. As we right. forgive those who trespass against us. That's right. So just think about the, the challenge, the simplicity, yet yeah, the challenge of it. I mean, That's right. it's as simple as it gets. Absolutely. And as hard as it gets. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even, you know, when you think about, um, that leads me to, to, to just think about how I think the rule can offer the world of the 21st century a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah, you know, because I think we're in a world that struggles with unity, mm-hmm. with yeah. oneness, right? Um, in a world that where we'll, we'll talk about diversity and right. the gifts of diversity, and yet it might be just easy to talk about, but it's hard to actually mm-hmm. to live and right. to accept the differences of others, right. and cultures, and different perspectives. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a challenge in that, right? The, the, the great focus on diversity nowadays. Yeah, um, yeah. And it could be a buzzword and sort of an empty phrase absolutely, for some. Absolutely. But how do you achieve the oneness, you know? Uh, yeah. or, or what's the orientation of the oneness, I That's guess? That's right, exactly. Where's it going? Kind of going back to our earlier yeah. discussion That's about right. you're one in mind and heart, right. but in what? That's right. That's right, and that can take so many different shapes. Absolutely, and it's often you know that that's the hard work. It seems that's right. Like, exactly, we're exactly. all different, but how are we then united? That's um, right. That's right. Yeah, it seems like Augustine found an expression for that here. Um, but how does that look? I Maybe mean, bring it you know into community life because mm-hmm. you're you're one in mind and heart on paper yeah. and in yeah. aspiration. That's right. Uh, but I'm sure brothers disagree. Oh yeah. How does that? How does I guess the practical question. How does the, the rule or the ethos of the rule guide you all in, in those sorts of situations? Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know what that would look like. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, it's something that it's a rule that we profess. Mm-hmm. So it's a way that, you know, at the end of the rule, Augustine says, basically, see in this book um, as a mirror. Hmm. Right, seeing this little book as as a mirror, right. so so it's a, it's supposed to be a reflection hmm. of what you're trying to do. Okay. And when it's done well, you praise God. Yeah. 
And when it's not, you read it again, <laughs> right? And so, yeah, so, so it's this whole sense of this is kind of, it's basically the, the gospel, but this is how we hold each other and ourselves to account. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like if we didn't have it, we wouldn't really have anything to a common language right. to, to, to talk about. You right. Know? right. Um, what makes Augustine a shaper of the Catholic imagination or the Catholic vision? I mean, you don't get any bigger than Augustine. Right. So that's, a, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's a tough one to throw your way. But yeah. Or maybe yeah. a couple things that stand out for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it, it's hard because... He's so early on mm-hmm. um, in developing and articulating, you know, putting words yeah. to this sense of church and, yeah. and what is it like to be the body of Christ that, that oftentimes when you go to explain it, people go, well, it's, it's just Catholic. It's like, yeah, but <laughs> he was the one that articulated it. <laughs> he made it <laughs> yeah, that. You know, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and certainly he, he, he took Paul. St. Saint, Saint Paul's writings were very, very influential on him in his own conversion, in his own turn toward the love of Scripture, um, that you just go, okay, yeah, it's very Pauline. You know, mm-hmm. that the whole notion of community and the body of Christ and its members and, and being a corporate body. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, I would say one of his big contributions is the sacramental imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole notion that um, sacrament really awakens within us individually and as a community what's always going on. Hmm. in the world right and that's god's loving real presence right but we don't always have the eyes or the mm-hmm. ears yeah um to to, to sense it um, i mean does that come across in him saying you know, see what you are yeah in the eucharist that's right right absolutely but, most especially in the in and through the eucharist right. yeah, that becomes the the expression of it all yeah right right Wow. Uh, what happens at that table is, is is supposed to be happening at all tables around which we find ourselves right you know, yeah. uh, the breaking open of the bread and the pouring out, mm. um, and in that experience, um, Christ is, is is truly present. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's hard to touch a topic within the Catholic imagination that Augustine himself didn't have something to say <laughs> right. or contribute to. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, well, Augustine has this to say or has yeah. that to say. For me, my understanding, what I've grown more and more uh, in touch with for Augustine is what would he want to be remembered by, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Or even remembered as. Right. So I think of, like, the confessions being one of the things and also the rule. You know, the confessions is really a pastoral book because Mm -hmm. he puts it out there after he becomes bishop. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, And and I think he would really want to be remembered by being somebody that, that was trying <laughs> to, to live out his baptism. Right. Right. And that, that he always had this, this quest within himself to search for more, to search for God. Yeah. Um, but that it was best lived out with others. Right. And in that he also then saw a responsibility that he had a responsibility to, to others. Hmm to be the best that right. he could be. Thanks to Father Kevin for his time and insight into the life and thought of St. Augustine. I also want to thank you for listening. 
I heard from some of you that you really liked last week's episode, which focused on St. Augustine, his mother St. Monica, and how the motherly love of the women in his life can be seen as encounters for Augustine with God's transformative love. Be sure to give that one a listen if you haven't yet. I want to give a special shout-out to those that listened to that episode from Aruba, Germany, and Calgary, Alberta, Canada, known to me most as the home of the flames and the birthplace of Brett the Hitman Hart. If you can find a moment to help out this show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or give us a top-shelf rating, or write a stellar review, or maybe you could just tell a friend about the show. If you haven't spoken to your podcast-loving great Aunt Penelope, now's your chance. Let her know that you miss her, but even more importantly, that she should listen to this podcast. Our next episode features an interview with Father David McConey from St. Louis University about his new book titled On Self-Harm, Narcissism, Atonement, and the Vulnerable Christ. During my reading of this book, I found myself engaged, enriched, challenged, and consoled. I'm sure there's something for you in my interview with Father McConey. Until that next episode, let's continue journeying further up and further in.